We have high expectations of you today for a couple of different reasons. Uh, first, we are going to try to cover in the book of Romans a chapter and a half in one fell swoop this morning. So there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. This, this subject matter uh, lends itself to it. But we also are going to ask you to do some work on your own because uh, what I'm going to do in, in, in covering that chapter and a half together, hopefully just give you some hooks on which you can kind of hang the passage, kind of like some, uh, the skeleton or the, or the basic outline, the organizing principles that I believe uh, Paul is trying to reinforce to those ancient believers and to us today. And then hopefully on your own, you can do some more in-depth work in Romans, uh, the, uh, all of chapter 14 and the uh, first half of chapter 15 as we do that. So I wanted to give that a little bit of a disclaimer. We won't be reading the entire passage. We'll be kind of like just uh, going, jumping through it. Um, but it's, it's all in the, in the purpose of, again, trying to understand the, the point that Paul is trying to make. We've been in this uh, the, the series from Romans 13 to 15. As you know, if you've been around, we've been kind of working our way through the book of Romans. And so we're, we're wrapping up a little portion today as we'll, we'll t- uh, hit pause again as we, uh, as we uh, f- stop there in the middle of, of chapter 15. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we began in Romans 13, 1 by looking at the principle of the governing authorities under which we live. And we saw that 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 overarching principle, that emphasis that Paul made on those believers in that day, that was that they should submit to those governing governing authorities. Literally, uh, that phrase means the powers that be. Not referencing necessarily an individual, but an institution. So the powers that be, they are instituted by God. There is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. We said that this would be a very challenging thing for his, uh, for his hear, uh, uh, readers and his hearers to, to have uh, told to them because at this point they have zero friends, most likely, that are in the governing authorities. There might be an, an, an outlier here or there, but predominantly they're, they're, they are going to live for quite a while under the, under the leadership of, of people who are not friendly to the Christian church. And so in fact, and in, in just uh, depending on the timing of the writing of this uh, letter, uh, it could be that he's already there or he's about to be in office, an emperor named Nero who's gonna be extremely hostile to the, Christian, uh, to the Christians and some of them in fact are going to lose their lives. Maybe even some of them who, heard, who got this letter from Paul and heard these words firsthand from him. So it's an important aspect for us to understand with the heart of what Paul's trying to communicate in that. Then we moved on to the, uh, the idea and the concept and the reality and the exhortation uh, about love. We saw that love is the one debt that we, can, that we always have, the one debt that we always have to each other. We're always paying on it. We can never pay it in full. There never comes a time where you can say, I've loved you enough or you've loved me enough. That love is an ongoing obligation debt that we have to one another. In fact, it is the fulfillment of the law. And we recognize that the embodiment of that, we under, if we want to understand what love looks like and how it is the embodiment of the law, we look at the person of Jesus. We know he fulfilled the law. He, we know that God is love. And since Jesus is God, Jesus, in fact, is love as well. And he demonstrates that in the way that he lived. And then last week, we took a look at time. 
And of course, when we think of time, we think of yesterday, today, tomorrow. We think of it's a, the fact that it's 11.08, and if we do the math, we'll be out of here in like 37 minutes, right? And you'll be on your way to home for lunch or out to eat or whatever the rest of the day holds for you. That's the way we view time chronologically. And that is a word for time. But another way to understand time is the idea of kairos, the idea of the appointed time. And we live in this, in this interesting time where, where we live in a, a succession of moments. That's one way to look at time. And that's, that's a fact of the way we live. And in fact, we live in between these two epochs, the two, the two advents, the first coming of Jesus and has, has happened, his death, his resurrection, and, our, uh, and the gospel that has been proclaimed to us that we received by faith has caused us to now be part of a new kingdom. And so we live in that kingdom. We are in the kingdom of God right now, but it's not yet fully realized. So we have this, this, this time kind of a, a weird thing where we are moving through a succession of moments and we li we're living in between two ages. But as we do that, we recognize that now is always the right time to live in the way that God has called us. We are, we are living a kairos life where we understand that, that God has a calling on our, on our lives to embrace a certain pathway, the way of Jesus, regardless of whether it might be convenient for us, regardless of whether or not our calendar tells us it's the right thing to do. It's, it's interesting. Those kind of things happen all the time. I won't tell you that the person's name, but in, our, in, in, a, in the group that I lead on Wednesday night, we were, we were talking about, we, we oftentimes, nearly every time we take, we take prayer requests and we're, we're praying uh, for different needs and, and situations that people, um, you know, come, that are going on in their lives. And one individual shared how they just had kind of this random encounter with this individual in, in Meyer. And this, this person, it was, it was an older woman, and, and she, she wanted to talk to this individual and kind of like pour her heart out to her. And, and, and the individual who, had, who was in the group, she, she was, you know, just um, re recognizing that this woman, she just had this sense of like maybe God wanting her to reach out to her. But in the back of her mind, and she shared this in the group, she's like, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this right now, and I don't have time for this in my life. I don't have another thing to add to my life. But it was a Kairos moment for her. And so she actually did. <laughs> she exchanged her number with, with, with the woman. And, 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 and again, this, this person who shared the prayer request, very, very open and authentic, and just said, again, probably in a sense, hoping that maybe it didn't materialize, but at the same time recognizing this is, these are the kind of things we can't ignore. That's, that's kind of how we have to live. We live our lives with these divine interruptions because we know that today is the, is the day to always seize the day for what God is doing in our lives. Whether we happen to have planned for it or not. All of our to-do lists are excessively long, right? All of our days are packed with way too much stuff. And sometimes because of that, because of our, 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 lean, our lean a little bit, probably a lot more toward that chronos way of viewing our lives, we forget that today is the day to embrace the way of Jesus Christ. And that was the point of last week. So we've already had quite a bit. This morning, we're gonna talk about the weak and the strong. Now, I went over like lots of images to put up, just something that was really super simple. And in my mind, I, I thought, well, if I put up this, this, this ethnicity for the weak one, then someone might be offended. If I put up this gender for the strong one, then they're going to say, well, of course you'd make them the strong ones, whatever. 
So I just decided to go cartoonish, okay? Just to be safe. And if you think I put up the wrong dog for the one who's strong, then I don't really care, I'm just gonna say. Because I fretted about this stinking image all week long. I offend people all the time, that's clear. And I was like, please God, please, let me have something simple that somebody won't be mad at because this message is divisive, divisive enough in and of itself. So hopefully you're okay with this. Are we all right? By, by hand clap, yes, thank you, yes. Some people are like judging me. Some people are judging me, which is ironic in what we're gonna talk about. So, we're not gonna read this entire passage, but we're gonna look at these, basically, as you can see in your notes, there's, there's like four principles, four hooks that I, that I want us to um, walk away with today, as well as hopefully uh, a plan to, to incorporate our lives around those hooks. So, let me pray real quick and we'll jump off, all right? Father God, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of your uh, Apostle Paul, and we thank you for inspiring him many years ago to write this letter to those ancient believers. And as we believe that you inspired him to do just that, we believe that that word stands as your word to us today as well. And so we believe, God, that uh, you have something that you want to do in our lives. And we pray, God, that you, uh, you would just help us to see the truth that you have for us and that we would adjust our lives accordingly. We know you don't want us to just hear the word, but, but do the word. And so we pray that you would give us insight into how that might be real for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. There's, as you can imagine, quite a bit of debate before we kind of get into those hooks as to who are the strong and who are the weak as Paul is writing in that uh, to, the, to the Roman believers many years ago. And that, in the interest of time, and again, you can do some study of your own, uh, on your own, of that, of that particular um, issue. But I'm going to suggest to you that probably the most satisfactory proposal is that the weak, for the most part, in this particular context, were Jewish Christians, whose weakness kind of consisted in their continuing conscientious commitment to Jewish regulations regarding diet and days, certain things that they could and could not eat, and certain holy days or Sabbaths that they were required to observe. Most likely, and remember that this is being written by a, a, a person who is 100% Jewish, the Jew of all Jews, he was, in the, he was a, a Jewish aristocrat, in fact. He was, the, he, he was in the elite kind of camp of Jews. And so as he writes this, most likely that's the, that's the most satisfactory uh, proposal I, I think that we can walk away with. So as he writes this, um, he's, he's speaking to people who, as for their diet, they would have kept the Old Testament food laws, eating only clean items. So when, when we get to the issue that Paul's going to mention here, the reason that he's going to use the example that he's using about vegetables is because there were certain kosher kosher, strict kosher laws that existed for the Jew. And because they couldn't always determine whether or not something was kosher, even though it could have been, they would not take the risk of eating a piece of meat that they weren't sure was kosher, so they simply would abstain. And some of them had grown into abstaining from all meat because it became very difficult to determine whether or not the meat was kosher. 
Kind of like I have a couple of, uh, my, one of my kids and his, and his wife uh, are vegan. And so they have this, uh, they have the, there's a website or, or something that, uh, maybe it's an Instagram feed or something that, that is, is called Accidentally Vegan. Because there's lots of things out there that you don't think that are necessarily vegan, but they are, right? But uh, if you can't determine it, you got to have to you know, you consult, and, uh, consult it. And they're, they're pretty strict, but at, at times they will, they'll, they'll quote-unquote cheat, you know. Uh, well, they'll see us, see us eating something. They're like, let me have just like a real small bite of that. Really? Would you do mind? And, and so this, this whole idea of this, of this strictness that exists, again, most likely Paul is saying to those, uh, to, to those ancient believers that these, these, these people who he's viewing as the weak ones are the ones that have chosen to embrace this very strict orientation toward diet and days, okay? Here's what he's going to say to that community. Now remember, this is a community that is made up of both those kind of people as well as people who came out of completely Gentile backgrounds, former idolaters, people who offered up sacrifices to idols, people who ate meat as a sign of worship to those idols. And so they're coming from extremely different backgrounds. The first emphasis, the first point that Paul is going to make in this section is there has to be among you full and total acceptance. As if that wasn't going to be hard. Full and total acceptance, he says in verse 1, as for the one whose faith is weak, again, most likely, most likely, you know, not saying this definitively, but most likely referring to Jewish Christians adhering to very strict dietary and day laws, except as for the one whose faith is weak, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Don't welcome them into your life to fix them. Don't welcome them into your life to change them. Don't welcome them into your life so that you can show them a presentation as to why their way is wrong and your way is right. But welcome them. This word is such a powerful word. It's the same word that Paul uses when he writes to another, writes another letter, but this time to a person instead of a church. He wrote it to a guy that he knew whose name was Philemon. Philemon was a slave owner. They had a slave whose name was Onesimus. Onesimus ran away, and as the story goes, it seems that most likely Onesimus had an interaction with Paul, and Onesimus became a believer in Jesus Christ. So Paul is sending Onesimus back to his owner. And listen to what he says in verse 17 of that book, which is only one chapter. He says to Philemon, if you consider me a partner... If you consider me to be your brother in Christ, listen to what he says. Welcome him, this runaway slave, as you would welcome me. Same exact word. It's the word proslambano. This word means to take as one's companion, companion, excuse me, to receive into one's home, implying kindness, to grant one access to one's heart, to take into friendship. It does not mean acquiescence. It does not mean tolerance, like I'll tolerate you. I will bear with you. I will put up with you. That's not what it's communicating. It means to welcome you into my heart, welcome you into the fellowship, welcome you into friendship. In fact, the word in off has 
an occasional use, in fact, to refer to the way in which husbands and wives welcome each other into their bodies physically. Again, I know kids are present, so I'm trying to be, walk around it here a little bit, but it is a very intimate word. It is not like, man, yeah, I got, I, I'll just be, put up with that person. It is offering them a place in your life of genuine love. In fact, one scholar says it implies the warmth and kindness of genuine love. Now that would fit, right? It would make sense because what did Paul say? Let no debt exist between any of you except for the ongoing debt, the perpetual debt, the continual debt to love one another. So when he says, receive each other into, one, into your heart and don't do it for the purpose of quarreling, but do it for the purpose of unity. And he's speaking to people who have, who have issues that will divide. And it's interesting to me that, you know what I think that has happened in the movement of Christianity? We have had entire churches that have decided to be either one or the other. Rather than learning to live with the tension of seeing life somewhat differently over particular issues. That's unfortunate. So we have, a whole, we have a whole body of believers that raise up to and, and says, and, and in fact, oftentimes they, they, they develop a very articulate doctrinal statement that outlines the inability for people to exist within that particular body instead of seeing people as ones who, because of their faith in Jesus Christ, because they are a brother, because the same way that Paul told, the, told that, that man Philemon to welcome Onesimus in the same way that he would welcome him. That's the heart of what he's asking them to do with each other. Even though they have honest differences about particular things and that some of, some of them hold very dear. So he said to the one whose faith is weak that we should welcome that person. Not to quarrel over opinions. To receive them into our heart to have, to have a, a, an orientation toward kindness and accept, acceptance and friendship and intimacy, love. Accept them into your heart. Paul says in verse two, in describing what this looks like, and I've already talked a little bit about the background of this so we won't stay here long, but he says that then one person believes he may eat anything, while one who is, eat, who is weak Eats only vegetables. Again, what Paul says, seems to be saying here, if we take him at face value, is Paul, he himself of Jewish background, is saying about those people, he is identifying the weaker brother as the one who sees things in the more strict manner. Now, I know where your head's going with this, right? Number one, you know, what are the contemporary issues that we would see? And I can't try to define all of the contemporary issues that would be somewhat similar to eating only vegetables or eating anything. I, I can't try to define that for every person in this room. But I would say that it seems clear that Paul is saying that the stronger brother or sister is the one who has a bit more freedom. And the weaker brother, and si brother or sister is the one that leans a little bit more towards strictness. You may not like that that's what Paul is saying, 
But it seems if we take it at face value in, its original, in his original intent that that's what he wanted to communicate. That it was the one whose faith was a little bit weaker because they saw this, this, this need to adhere to this dietary restriction or this holy day restriction as their faith was a bit more weak because they weren't able to embrace the freedom that they had found in Christ Jesus. He wasn't saying they weren't, that they weren't believers. He was just saying that they, had, they, had, they, they were at a point in their life where they were unable to walk away from this particular, uh, or adherence to, walk away from the, uh, an adherence to this particular regulation that existed for so long in their life. Some of you know what that's like. Some of you may, grew, may have grown up with a particular lifestyle into your 20s or 30s, and then all of a sudden, by the grace of God, you responded to the gospel and you were saved. At that point, I think there's a, a natural tendency to kind of like move away from anything that you saw as that could possibly offend God, right? That you, that you kind of saw your life, that you kind of, maybe you kind of got a little bit more strict with yourself because you associated so much of what you used to do with things that displeased God, right? And that, some of those things are obvious, not questionable. But then, <clears throat> as you might have grown in Christ, there might have been things, and again, I'm not talking about overt sin. I'm not talking about things that are clearly sin, but some of those questionable matters, disputable matters, something that would be akin to whether we eat vegetables or we eat anything. There might have been things that you allowed to re-enter into your life. That doesn't mean that you grew weaker in your faith. In fact, if we follow this kind of idea of what Paul is saying in Romans 14 too, it might be that your faith has grown stronger so that you are able to experience a little bit more freedom in your faith. We're not, not, I'm, I'm not trying to identify who is the weak and the strong person here today because Paul's clear admonition is going to be toward this idea of acceptance, proslambano, of one another. And we're going to see that as we wrap up this morning. The second hook that we want to make sure that we have here in the kind of the second section. You can, you can see in your notes, just uh, to help you out, I kind of uh, put that, how that, that hook goes with the, the verses that are there. And so this goes with that next section of scripture. And this hook is, there should be no contempt or condemnation. Look at verse three. One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat. Ah, poor guy. Stuck in that old way not eating this great piece of juicy meat like I am, worried about whether he's going to offend God because this thing might or might not be kosher. My lamb died for me. I'm going to eat whatever I want. Poor old sucker. You can't look, that can't be our attitude. That can't be our orientation. We must not look down on one who does not eat and one who does not eat must not look at the one who is eating and say, man, I tell you, God must just hate that person for eating that piece of meat. And I know it sounds almost comical, but guys, come on. Come on. When we, th when we get all charged up about things about like certain items of dress code or which Bible translation we use or whether we can use these kind of instruments or sing these kinds of songs, come on. Can we, we don't have a little bit of this going on in the church today. We don't have a little bit of looking down on one another or judging one another on disputable matters 
where scripture is absolutely not in any way clear about those things, again, what do we oftentimes do? We decide, well, we'll just start a church where it's all gonna be this way. How unfortunate, how heartbreaking, how gut-wrenching. One of the most disappointing things about my journey in faith has been how much minor things affect the health and the body of Christ. While the world around us is perishing, we get hung up on whether or not we should have, again, I hate even to use examples because then it becomes, this becomes a message about the examples and that's not it. It's about this orientation that we're not going to have contempt on one another and we're not going to judge one another. Because after all, God has accepted him. Again, same word, proslam model. God has welcomed him into, welcomed this believer into relationship with him. And though God has welcomed them into relationship with him, you're unable to welcome them into relationship with you. You've got a higher standard for relationships than God. We do. We do. And how sad that is. We welcome them real quickly, just the, if, you, if you're interested, the, the main points that Paul's gonna make in this section is we welcome them because God has welcomed them. We welcome them because of Christ's work. We welcome them because they are our brothers and sisters. And we welcome them because we will all stand before God's judgment. And so we welcome them. We accept them. We receive them, which is the main point Paul is making at the very beginning, right? The third hook is in relationship to these things that are disputable matters, we always want to seek peace and health, not stress and destruction. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Why is that so important? Because what had Paul said just a couple of pages earlier in his letter? He said, let no debt be outstanding between, the two, between any of you except for the debt, the ongoing debt to love one another. And so if you are almost exercising your liberty to show that person, to show that brother or sister that you're free to eat and how much stronger you are in your faith, if you're using that as a way to almost do it out of spite, you're no longer walking in love. You're causing them stress. You see, that, that's the whole genius of what Paul is about to share is we, when we think about whether we have freedom or whether we see ourselves a little bit more strict, it's the way in which we use that freedom or embrace that strictness in relationship to our other brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the important thing. And so this idea of, of, of not seeking stress and destruction is so important. Paul emphasizes then that, that instead of, see, uh, of doing those things which are gonna cause each, uh, other people to be destroyed in their faith or stressed out by what we're doing, he says then let us, pr- let us promote, oh, I'm sorry, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Peace and health, peace and strength. If my 
fill in the blank for in this particular context, if my eating certain foods was going to stress my brother or sister out so much, then guess what? I'll just make the choice that I'm not going to do that when I'm with them. That's not being deceptive. That's not being two-faced. That's respecting your brother or sister. That's not, that's choosing a way to live your life that's not going to cause them unnecessary stress. And so when I eat with them, if we eat vegetables only, fine. When I get back to my house, I'm still hungry. I'm going to get that steak and fry it on the grill and cook it on the grill and I'm going to eat it. But I'm not going to compromise, or maybe I won't, but I'm not going to compromise my relationship with my brother or sister. I'm not going to sit in their home and tell them why they should eat meat when they're choosing only to eat vegetables, right? So let us pursue what promotes peace, unity, and mutual edification, some translations have. That is strength, health for everyone. Let's pursue that. The last hook is this. In relationship to these disputable matters, choose to support others more than satisfying self. Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Why do we choose to support others more than satisfying ourselves? Because Christ himself didn't please himself. Because it is the way of united worship. Christ is a way of united worship, and this is the way of united worship. Choosing to support others more than satisfying ourselves. And we do this because God has accepted us. And so in chapter 15, verse 2, Paul says, then let each of us please our neighbors for their good to help them be stronger in faith. To have my focus on how my behavior and my choices are going to impact someone other than me. Yes, should I be aware of how they impact me? Certainly. But I don't want to exercise my faith or emphasize my strictness. I don't want to exercise my freedom, I should say, or emphasize my strictness at the expense of my relationship with my brother or sister. It's always about thinking how my behavior, how my choices are going to impact someone beyond me. I want to do those things which help other people to go stronger in their faith, not do things that are going to help them grow weaker. Last week, we saw how Paul oftentimes, and, and it's, it's interesting, if you, if, you, if you really dive into this passage, and, and like I said, I know it, this has been a very high-level look in, in through these four hooks for you to see, but hopefully you can see the heart of what Paul is trying to say. It, one, one scholar said it this way, what Paul is doing is he's offering practical, ethical exhortations that are buttressed with theological foundations. There is a theological truth and foundational reality to these ethical exhortations that Paul's uh, giving to those ancient believers, such as support others more than satisfying yourself, such as seeking peace and, and strength, not stress and destruction, such as living in this life of welcoming people into your life, not using your differences to separate you from them. All of those things are very practical exhortations, but they're built on theological foundations, the work of Jesus and the heart 
of God. And so Paul, as he's wrapping up this section, then has something that he wants to remind everyone of, and he's going to bring it all the way back full circle. What was the, what was the very first point that he made? Full and total acceptance. Pros Lombano, welcome them. Take them as your companion. Receive them into your home. Be kind to them. Grant them access into your heart. Take them into friendship. Welcome them in with genuine love. He's going to bring it all the way back full circle to that very same thing, same word. Therefore, proslambano, accept, receive, welcome with kindness and genuine love one another. Just as Christ also, same word, did the same thing for you. All for the glory of God. How simple that is, right? But yet, how revolutionary it would be if we, as followers of Jesus, chose to actually allow these principles, these four, not too hard to understand, pretty simple four, four principles, to sink into our hearts and actually change the way we live. Remember what they are as it relates to those things that would divide us. Those things that for some people are so clear that they, we can't do it or we have to do it, and to others, yeah. As we consider that kind of reality and how it existed in the ancient world and how it still exists in Christianity today, our, the principles are we have full and total acceptance for one another. He began, the, began it with that, and now he ends it with that in chapter 15. We choose to support others more than we satisfy ourselves. We choose to not condemn one another. We choose to not have contempt for one another. We choose to embrace peace and health, mutual edification, strength, rather than stress and destruction. Why? And this is the theme that Paul continually comes back to in these verses when you, when you do, do a deeper dive. It's the way in which God related to us. It's what he did for us. It's the way in which he, get, he allowed us access to him. And he's urging us as followers of Jesus to do this very same thing as we relate to one another. So I'm gonna ask you to just think real practically with me as I'm going to wrap up and then we're going to have a song to wrap to close. I want you to think not in general terms, but I want, to think, I want you to think about yourself this morning. What's one thing that would be comparable to this divisive issue that existed for those Roman believers many years ago? What's one thing that would be similar that you struggle with? And it causes you to either have some judgment toward others or kind of be, be stressed out by what they do. It just causes, it's, it causes division. I hate to give an example. I don't need to give an example. You're bright people. Those examples are already flowing into your head. What's one thing that is kind of, I'm not saying it has to be your thing, but it's just one of those things that kind of bothers you a little bit that would be similar to this kind of an issue. How could you, in thinking about that one thing, 
allow these principles to change the way you live with that orientation that you have. Not qualifying whether it happens to be more toward the liberty side, freedom side, or the strictness side. Not qualifying and making one better or worse. Simply asking you to consider as it relates to that thing that's in your mind right now, whatever it could be, whatever it is, how would what Paul said to those Roman believers change the way you dealt with your thing here this morning as you walk out of here today? Can we pray together? Stand with me if you would, okay? Like I said, we're gonna have one song to wrap us up. The worship team is gonna come and get ready to lead us in that, but let me pray before we do that together. Father God, I confess that uh, it is so easy for me and probably a few other people here too to see uh, my way as the right way and sometimes even kind of the only way. And God, I I pray, I I first, I, I, I confess that I need to. And I, and, I, and I want to repent of that, God, to turn from that orientation of kind of self-centeredness. And I pray that maybe a few others in the room would join me in that. And as we think about that, that issue or that thing that kind of tends to be something that we get hung up on, I pray that you would help us and then in this moment and maybe over the next few days and maybe with the help of talking with some other brothers and sisters about it. Pray that you would help us to learn maybe a new way to live in relationship to that issue. We want it all to be for your glory. We want it to be, Lord, for uh, the benefit of the entire body. And so we pray that we wouldn't shrink back from this challenge, but that we would... um, Lean into it instead, even maybe as uncomfortable as that might make us. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.